on the cover. The New Olympus Natural History Museum is eerily lit by flashes of lightning as the small dark shapes of Agatha and Gustav look up from below, hands clasped tightly in determination. A tattered banner draped between the pillars above the door reads, Dig up the past, artifacts from the 1800s. Wonderworld Comics proudly presents The Dagger Diabolic. Prepare yourself, dear reader, for another gripping tale of adventure, drama, and self-discovery. This is Wonder World Comics. So, our comic opens with a wide shot of the library that's rain-spattered windows. In the next panel, we've moved through the pane and we see Rin talking to Midas in Midas's room. Rin is super excited. She has her sword life drinker out. It's sheathed, but she's holding it out in front of her. We can see her face is just a light. She's explaining to Midas, do you, do you see, brother? This contains the soul of one of the most, if not the most powerful nightmare lords in all of perdition. Of all of the terrifying, most powerful gods of every realm to have ever exist, he was the most feared. And now that Mother is dead, and we know the extent of the power we can wield, we can end my father and take back Lucia. Midas, you've already helped me more than I could ever repay. Without you, I would be a slave to Verachiel, and our mother would still draw breath. Can I count on you again, brother? Will you help me kill the immortal king and save my country? And before Midas can answer, we pull back outside of the window pane again. We see a shot of a crouched figure huddled by the window listening in. Moonflower, what does your face look like right now? I think she looks... About like she always does, but like with a little bit more of set to her jaw, like teeth kind of clenched a little bit. I think she is feeling paranoid and suspicious, which is probably why she was like creeping on her friend and his hot sister. (laughs) That makes sense. Awesome. And we get a flashback to... You, shortly after you have arrived back on Earth from the Feywilds, and you're returning to your apartment, you just spent a a wonderful time, you know, an entire week celebrating with Belch's entire family, with your friends, and that peace and happiness is shattered when you found in your pocket a note card that you had not put there. And had not noticed someone placed there. And not only did it have the uh, ominous black fox chasing its own tail symbol stamped on the front. On the back was a handwritten note, which now for the first time the reader can see reads. Looks like I'm still one step ahead of you. Your friends are who you think they are. Eden. How is Eden feeling hearing this? What Rin has just said and knowing what she has found over the past few days and weeks. Yeah, I think she is 
disappointed that the hot girl is, is mixed up in whatever is going on here. Still intrigued by the sword. Yeah, she I heard I think... the whole part about it containing the worst thing that exists anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. And Eden's first yeah, response just... is, ooh. <laughs> just clarifying for the reader. My girl has priorities. <laughs> and she doesn't personally feel like she's well equipped for a two-handed weapon, but it's kind of hot when Rin does it. <laughs> Eden realizing that not only can she not fix Rin, but in fact, Rin can make her worse. <laughs> a true feat. <laughs> I think Eden's not sleeping a lot. I think she's very on edge. She does not like that someone has figured out who she is. And she doesn't like people knowing things she doesn't. Awesome. So we turn the page. And we have a wide shot of a grand building. Justin, why don't you go ahead and describe what the uh, St. James family estate looks like? The mansion itself is the definition of detached from the common man. It is a palatial mansion that is largely used by magenta st james to throw parties and galas and make st james look like their definition of a normal family just detached and cold looking mansion big white marble pillars everything is like a hard polished surface gold inlay it's located in elysium height far off the road it's in a big gated community and then it itself has a gate around it and a driveway up to it those big entrances with a fountain. Yeah, it's a place. What what kind of look does Gray have on his face as he is looking up at this place uh, that he has arrived at? He has an unhappy <laughs> scowl on because he does not like to be here. He certainly does not currently live here. So, So why are you visiting the old manor house this evening? He's here to see Mariel. He misses her, and it's been a minute, and he needs some refreshings on his teachings, especially since things haven't been going so hot. She's kind of been his caregiver and the person who raised him and gave him the most time as a kid, so he's here to see her after a while, and I'm sure he has some St. James-related obligation that's drug him this way. You know, keeps the uh, purse strings loose, so... He's got to check in occasionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Give us a quick physical description of Grace and St. James. Remind us what he looks like and what is he wearing as he's walking up sullenly with this scowl on his face. Grace and St. James is 16 years old. He is platinum blonde. He His hairstyle is kind of like a spike faux hawk with a fade on the sides. He is always kind of, when he's out of hero costume, decked to the nines. So he's got a fancy suit on. He's wearing like a gray, well-tailored suit. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Mariel is actually the one who answers the door. Master Grayson, thank you for stopping by. Just uh, wanted you to try on uh, the, your suit for the gala. Make sure it uh, was hemmed properly. So wonderful yeah. you to stop by. 
well, you know, gotta be there for the family or whatever. Shoes, love, shoes. Take them off. Ugh, you're tracking mud everywhere. Grayson kind of listens and gives the look a seven-year-old boy who's just been scolded gives and tucks his shoes away by the door. Now, your timing is actually perfect. This way, dear, up the second drawing room across from the study. Yes, this way. And she uh, leads you through kind of the elegant, kind of old-fashioned, or what? what is the manor house like? Is it decadent and old-fashioned, like I'm imagining, or is it totally different? Old-fashioned in what way? Uh, I don't know. I was kind of picturing it as, when I said detached, like kind of in the opulent, like 80s or 90s style. Awesome. Uh, maybe like picture the mansion that's barely shown at the beginning of Shit's Creek. Something that doesn't look really livable or practical to use. There are lots of staircases, the chandeliers in every room. It's Magenta awesome. St. James trophy I piece. I think everyone has a bedroom in here, but I don't think any of the family actually stays here. I think Ruby has like a little house on the estate. Who knows where Redmond stays? And maybe Magenta is the only one who actually like lives and stays here. And of course, Mariel in her quarters. Awesome. Yeah. So Mariel leads you down these uh, like long carpeted halls with tapestries hanging from hanging on them and uh, giant chandeliers from the 40 foot vaulted ceilings to the uh, drawing room where your suit has been laid out. And there's a little old fashioned, like one of those accordion screen things for you to change and try stuff on. Mariel's been kind of talking uh, kind of the whole time. She's like, oh, yes, your father was just in a tizzy today. Just an absolute fit. Something something stressful about his work week. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you, Grayson? No. And he kind of gives her a weird look. She knows he doesn't really deal that much with his father. Good. Glad you're not involved in that sort of thing. Apparently, he had a run-in with some uh, young superheroes. Sounded like he gave them quite a thrashing. I actually heard the Manta showed up, and he wasn't able to hold his own. Different stories in different circles. Yes, dear. Um, I think this hem is going to work out perfectly. Just then, when you hear an ice-cold voice from the doorway, it says, uh, and what sort of circles have you been running in, Grayson? And uh, it's when we turn the page to another heated conversation in a much smaller house down in uh, the southern side of the Olympic Highway in the Burbs. We have a kind of a wide shot at the outside of Ryan and Patrick's house. Kaylee, do you want to give us another a quick reminder of what Patrick's house looks like in the burbs. Uh, yeah, sure. I I don't really know what suburbs look like in America. I don't know if they're the same as here, but I know Steve lives in an apartment. I think um, Ryan and Patrick live in not an apartment. It's more like you know, in the UK, there's like sort of terrace houses. Like they're all sort of joined, but they're all kind of like squashed and quite mm-hmm. skinny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think even a sort of an area like that, if that makes sense to be in the burbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just um, yeah. There's uh, there's all kinds of just crazy housing units out in the burbs. 
there's there are actual suburbs there's apartment buildings there's like uh duplexes and trailer parks and all kinds of stuff it might be two-story but it is like yeah really skinny so there's only like two bedrooms one of them's like quite small though it's probably supposed to be an office but yeah so kind of crammed in there perfect perfect so we have this nice peaceful shot of this nice kind of small skinny home tucked away in the birds and what can we hear being shouted between ryan and patrick as we rejoin ryan (sighs) maybe it's not like a shouting you know argument or something but like an intense conversation between you and Patrick about, you know, expectations and that sort of thing. Okay. I went to the university and I got into trouble because I went and saved Steve instead of going to the bunker. If if this is happening, like, soon after that, I think that's what they're arguing about. Yeah, okay. I think there's sort of the gruff Uncle Patrick fatherly, I know that you can take care of yourself but it's not your responsibility to take care of everyone else. And then there's, but it wasn't just everyone else. It was Steve. Like he's my literal best friend. I love him like a brother. Like what did you expect me to do? Just leave him out there with a supervillain? And yeah, I think we sort of get a close-up of their like front door as this sort of like muffled conversation is leaking out. Maybe there's like somebody walking past kind of. Yeah, there's a person walking their dog. (laughs) <laughs> just like just like walking a little bit faster as the sort of shouting gets a little bit louder and like you know rattles the door knocker or something <laughs> Ryan we have talked about this I know I know you I mean and maybe you get it from me but you have always been the first person to run into danger to help your friends and that is admirable but these times that we're living in now are just we can't there's more risk now you have to understand I've been hearing stories of kids with powers getting snatched up off the street by farsec dude squads I just don't want something like that happening to you we're we're in the house now we can see them right yep 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 yeah, I think Ryan is going to um, probably, like, throw something. What's something that's breakable but, like, not too precious? Coffee oh, mug. Vase. Vase is classic. Okay. Oh, they're all good options. I think it's going to mm. be a lamp. I think they're, I think they're in mm-hmm. the living room. And I think, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah it was actually lampshaded in the, the panel earlier, just kind of, you know, placed prominently in the corner. Yeah, and then Ryan just kind of like swipes it and it like smashes onto the ground. And Ryan is like, you are such a hypocrite. And why is it so bad to be like you and to get it from you? Why is that such a bad thing that I'm like you? And I know you don't want me to get snatched, but I don't want anyone to get snatched. And if we could just work together on it, maybe we could – maybe it wouldn't have to be – me always getting in trouble for doing stuff that you do. Because there is not a law in this town saying that if I get caught, I will be thrown in prison indefinitely. Because when I go out, there aren't hit squads 
in armored cars rolling around looking for me to yank me off the street and drag me God knows where. Listen, Mother Owl and I have been doing some reconnaissance and we have... Wait, you know Mother Owl? Oh, we work together from time to time. Um, what the f- Listen, Ryan... Uh, you want to you wonder why I don't tell you anything? I'm... Like, I'm not going to get caught. I'm not going to get caught because I've got friends who've got my back, which you obviously don't have my back, I mean. Obviously, you've got friends because, you know, you know Mother Owl and you just thought you didn't need to tell me about that. Why is that even... Listen, that's not the point right now, Ryan. The point is we have been working together looking in to these recent disappearances, we think there might be a connection between the disappearances happening now and what happened to you. There's like a a glossy-eyed, I think very close-up of her eyes, and you can see sort of reflected in them, you know, like vague experiment memories of little baby Ryan, scary doctors and, you know, things. And then he like shakes his head and he's like, isn't that more of a reason for me to help? No. Cause if something like that happened to you ever again, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Ryan sort of softens maybe a little bit, bends down to start like picking up the glass of the lamp that they broke doesn't look at Patrick and just kind of like shrugs and is just like, well, if it happened to me again, like, I know that you'd just come and get me or whatever. Uncle Patrick is absolutely shifting your labels right now. Ah, oh, fuck. Get out of here, Patrick. Yo, oh. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not asking you to not help your friends and to not help people. I just, and I know that I can't really stop you. You are honestly one of the most bullheaded people I've ever met in my entire life. But please be careful. Alright? Just, and if you guys get in over your heads for anything, any reason, let me know. Alright? It's all I'm asking. He is raising your superior and lowering your danger. Just say, asking you to be not to to not stop being, you know, a hero, but to to you know maybe think before you go charging in. So interesting. I think Ryan's gonna accept it, but with a like begrudging kind of like, ugh. Yeah, I, I guess I can do that. Here, bring it in, big guy. He, like, Patrick opens up his arms wide for a big old Uncle Patrick bear hug. Yeah, I think uh, Uncle Patrick bear hugs are obviously the best hugs. But I, mm. I think they're, like, despite the high difference, like, Patrick, like, picks Ryan up as mm-hmm. though he's, like, mm-hmm. still oh, a child. He's he sturdy. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey, don't worry about the glass. I'll get this swept up. Why don't you uh, just go hang out with your friends, all right? Just try not to get in too much trouble, you know? The, like, last paddle of this scene is 
from behind Ryan. So we see Ryan and we see the speech bubble that says like, yeah, okay, I'll try. But behind his back, there's some brambles in like a crossed fingers. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so good. (laughs) We turn the page. See Grayson staring down his father in this study. And what circles have you been running in, Grayson? The ones that'll have me. Just kind of brushes him off. Can't have too many friends with an attitude like that. It runs in the genes? Always trying to blame someone else for your problems. Listen, I don't really have time to trade barbs with you right now. I have a business meeting. Mariel, I misplaced my Mariner's Rolex, uh, Blueface, Gold Dials, Black Band. I saw it up in the upstairs library, sir. Let me fetch it. Thank you, Mariel. Listen, I uh, really can't stay. I've got a business meeting this evening. Might finally be able to pull one over on old Hanningraf. Might be able to actually relax when we have some leverage on him. What are you doing here? Getting fitted for the gala, as a good son does. Good. He rolls his eyes. He was, huh? Thank you. Well, I best be off. Only seeing you, Mario. Grayson gives you a curt nod. This way out the door. Good day, father. Well, now that that's blown over, is there anything else I can do for you? No, I think I'm good. What time's the gala again? It starts at eight o'clock. I wouldn't show up until quarter to nine. Wouldn't want to be too early, dear. He nods and says, uh, "Thanks for everything," and gives Mariel a hug. Of course, darling. Now run along. I'm sure you have far more important things to be doing right now than chatting with me. He doesn't, but he will run off. It's <laughs> cute. Get a, a panel, kind of a wide shot of the St. James family mansion and turn the page to a very similarly framed shot of a very different looking manse. This one is on a a, sort of a large lot, kind of on the southern end-ish of Old Town. It's got high red brick walls that are all overgrown, sort of gothic architecture. The manor looks like it doesn't get much use, but as we draw in closer, we see a cellar door, a storm cellar door on the outside is cracked open. Deep underground beneath the manor in the basement, we see Agatha and her brother Gustav. What are what are you two up to this fine summer evening? Agatha, with several candles lit, is going over paper articles that she has clipped detailing robberies of various antique stores, apothecary, new agey kind of stores, as well as strange assaults. People have been mugged, but if uh, if the mugger hadn't found 
what they were looking for. They were the the victims would be left alone without money taken or anything like that. Gustav is sitting in a corner, gently following a very old blueprint. He's got a book of wiring schematics open. He's attempting to see whether or not it'd be feasible to try to splice in some updated electrical outlets in the bottom of the cellar, see if they can sort of uh, siphon off some electricity into this area of the mansion. Hanegraaff Mansion has been around for probably 400 years now in this general area. About 275 years ago, probably, this immediate area of the mansion had collapsed. And for whatever reason, it had never been excavated and rebuilt. However, it suits as a small sanctuary for Agatha Hazlitt, as well as her brother Gustav for the time being. Awesome. Um, and uh, why don't you give us a, uh, a quick physical description of Agatha and Gustav as they are hard at work in the semi-collapsed basement? Gustav pauses his work, stands up and stretches as much as he can, Gustav being a roughly 4'11", 5' foot tall, humanoid painted turtle, large blackish-green shell, the scales outlined in reds and oranges, his little four-fingered hands rubbing the lower portion of his shell, anogalous to the lower back on a human being. He looks over to Agatha, still uh, very hard at work. I'm hungry. Can we go get something to eat now? Agatha looks up from where uh, she was studying and glances outside of the uh, cracked cellar door towards the... What time of the day is it? It is uh, evening. It is evening. So the sun is starting to gently set. She looks towards him. It would probably be best to get something to eat. She uh, rises a flat five foot, looking a little more healthy than we saw her last. Her body seems a little fuller. Her joints not quite as sharp or bony. Her cheeks a little more full. Her hair a little bit of body. And the skin around her eyes and her mouth looking more like she's had some mild sunburn than the cracked and flaky that they were. Uh, she and Gustav, the last several nights, uh, catching frogs and rats, she had been sucking them dry, their life force being pulled from their little bodies, giving uh, Agatha just a little more vitality in a sense few more days of this, and I think I might be able to taste again. Hopefully it stops tasting like dirt and ash. She gently picks up one of the uh, one of the newspaper articles closest to her and folds it up, places it in her back pocket. She has uh, faded green corduroy pants on 
and a uh, slightly longer dark gray hoodie. Gustav has he has a bandolier that they were able to swipe from a Star Wars convention. It is a bandolier almost identical to the uh, character Chewbacca wore. They're able to uh, outfit it with some pouches so that he has a little something to carry goods in. Beautiful. Um, They gently make their way out of the cellar and into the waiting night. You are uh, Agatha stepping out into the night. You feel just a sickening, sinking feeling in your heart as your old wound begins to just, like, burn as this slow, thrumming pulse begins to resonate in your chest arrhythmically with your heartbeat. Gustav, I think it's close. We get just a nice kind of shot as the sun sinks beneath the horizon of the city of Agatha and Gustav in the burning orange of the sunset, the long shadows cast by the trees. Eden, it is evening. A gala that Belladonna asked you to surveil is in full swing in downtown Old Town. Where are you this fine evening? How much specificity did Belladonna give when she asked me to survey this uh, a lot of the kind of movers and shakers of the underground of the underworld are going to be present on paper it's a perfectly innocuous you know private event but uh there's just so many too many coincidences on the guest list for it to be completely innocuous so so more of a, a quick reconnaissance you know kind of recon um, she said quick reconnaissance I mean, maybe not in those exact words, but... I'm just wondering if Eden would be forced to interpret this as, like, watch from across the street with binoculars, or if she could willfully interpret this as, yes, put on a pretty dress and go to the party yourself. I think that's absolutely (laughs) an option. Oh yeah, she, she wants to wear a cute dress. Awesome. So we get a uh, a nice shot, a, a low shot, of the outside of the hotel where the gal is being hosted, and we see Eden from behind as she is approaching the bright lights of the gala. Describe your your cute dress for us, please. Yeah. So she's wearing like like a knee length A line sort of dress that's a midnight blue, nice off the shoulder uh, sleeves. And as, like, kind of a homage to her team, it's not just Midnight Blue, but it's sort of embroidered with these golden, like, stars and moons, and it's very, like, sky-themed. Awesome. Kind of looks like a night sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's just kind of the uh, dinner meet-and-greet. There's 
lots of, you know, kind of standing tables, waiters moving around in tuxes, holding plates of hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And yeah, just kind of a a who's who of the rich and famous of New Olympus. Yeah, I think Aiden's kind of going around and and planting, like, listening devices where she can. Mm Mm-hmm. Just to see if she replays the audio later, if she can pick up any juicy conversations or anything. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so as you're kind of moving along uh, one of the second floor balconies overlooking the party, plant a listening device underneath one of the little side tables. You notice that there's already a listening device that has been planted there. (laughs) I'm... What do you do? I am going to look for any type of video surveillance that might be capturing this spot. Mm -hmm. Because if there's another listening device here, I would like to see who might come to pick it up later. Absolutely. Glancing around the hotel, you notice there are a ton of security cameras. Uh, and there is one just kind of in the corner above the stairs that does have an excellent view of this kind of little particular alcove on the, along the balcony. And I'm going to maybe hang out here for a little bit and look like I'm doing something that um, if someone else has the same idea and is watching this spot wouldn't necessarily look like I was also planting a listening device here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so as you kind of lean up against the the banister and start to survey the scene. You hear footsteps um, approaching you from casually from behind and kind of a a taller figure in a kind of a slim cut black suit leans down on the banister next to you and says, uh, you looking for someone? I'm going to turn around. (laughs) See, See if I can get a better look at who's talking to me. Would you recognize Drew without his mask? I don't know. He didn't I recognize Drew anywhere. <laughs> you know, just just for kicks and giggles, I'm going to say no, but he does seem familiar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He does have just striking cheekbones, and you just can't quite place them. She might yeah. also be somewhat familiar with his voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He does sound familiar. But yeah, he's uh got combed like dark hair that's kind of slicked back. He's wearing a, a slim suit, skinny tie, has little gold art deco bird shape cufflinks. Nice. So yeah, I uh was actually coming up here to try and, you know find a place for myself and just kind of get a lay of the land. But I see someone beating to it. Well, it's just really loud down there and it's nice to get away for a little bit. Yeah. Hard to hear anything down there, right? I guess. Eden feels like this conversation is weird in a way that she can't quite place. (laughs) (laughs) She thinks maybe she's missing a social cue again. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a social cue again? What are those? I uh I hate coming to these things. Like, I don't know. The food's pretty good. Usually. That is a plus. Actually. 
but I'm a huge fan of the company, so the usual types I bump shoulders with. You could probably not come if you don't want to be here. That is also true, but I'm uh, here for work, actually. Ian's going to kind of squint at him because she feels like she's definitely missing a social cue here. (laughs) And she's just going to kind of nod and say, okay, well, I I hope you you have a good shift then. Yeah, Uh, well, maybe I'll bump into you later. Mm-hmm. He uh, gives you a smile and a wave as he uh, makes his way out into the crowd. Well, she really nailed that social interaction. <laughs> a plus Eden. I got a good grade in being social today. No, she knows she did not. <laughs> <laughs> as he's uh, this mysterious guy is kind of walking away, seems strangely familiar. We see kind of in the corner of the panel a familiar looking young man. And uh, we get a close up shot of Grayson St. James arriving at the party. Uh, what do you, do you look like? Are you dressed? How are you arriving? Grayson has gotten there via limo. I imagine he's walked on a carpet. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. in his black suit that was tailored for him perfectly, that was shown earlier. And yeah, he's he's looking pretty slick. Is he's he, strolling in here like he owns the place because... Is he giving some I mean, waves sure to the cameras or is he just uh, all business? He's more kind of that like he'll give you the glance and the smile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely not waves. That's too much effort. Or, in giving maybe a much. cursory nod. Maybe, but that's like to the cute journalist. Mm-hmm that mm-hmm. he sees, like, everyone else yeah. is just kind of getting smirk slash smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Seeing as you are sort of obligated to be here, what is your goal for the evening if you have to be here? What are you at least going to try and get out of the night? I mean, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like some sort of big social event your family just expects you to make an appearance. Pretty fancy. High class is sort of like some fundraiser dinner for some rich fuck who needs even more money. You know, one of those like $10,000 plate type of deals. He doesn't Perfect. have a lot of interest in being here, but he is anyways and positions himself near the chattier, louder, and spicier individuals in this mm-hmm. upper echelon. He's always at least interested to overhear the tea and what's going on or the current scandals absolutely absolutely one of the things you do over here is someone is like so redmond going into the conference rooms with old man hanegraaff i thought those two didn't rub shoulders anymore which is shocking because the saint james's and the hanegraaffs have been in a blood feud for God knows how long, since probably the dawn of time. It makes sense. They were the founders of the city, and the St. James probably came in at a later time and just swooped up a lot of real estate. Kind of out of nowhere, it seemed odd that Beige St. James was able to come through and attain so much property in a city Mm -hmm. that was well-established and had a lot of old money, but 
yeah. she was able to manage it and it did not sit well with a lot of other people. The Yeah, and the hand and grass were hit particularly hard by some of her swift business schemes. Absolutely. But yeah, so definitely something kind of interesting, yeah, that they would be speaking or at least meeting. She definitely find that odd. When he overhears this, he's going to eat a couple of prawns on a skewer that he grabs off of a passing caterer's tray mm-hmm. and slowly, nonchalantly, and roundaboutly make his way towards the conference room. Excellent. We turn the page, and there's a flash of lightning as uh, storm clouds begin to move in. Agatha and Gustav are making their way down the kind of the side streets, staying out of the uh, pools of light cast by the street lamps. Ahead of you, you can see into the main, uh, one of the larger roundabouts in the center of Old Town. And on one kind of far side, there's like a more like a kind of, yeah, like a square, I guess, with kind of a, a park in the small park in the middle. On one side, there's a massive hotel with tons of bright lights and people and cars. And But on the other side of the park, there is the New Olympus Natural History Museum, which is currently closed. And a banner hanging across the top. Yeah, it says, dig up the past artifacts from the 1800s on display now. If we make our way closer to the museum, does the... uh throbbing and burning in Agatha's chest wound increase or decrease or stay um, steady? Like, does it does it play hot and cold? Not necessarily. Just almost like a ramping anxiety. Not necessarily tied to the distance, but just getting, been getting worse and worse. Like, you kind of have noticed it a little bit earlier in the day, but maybe just kind of brushed to the side, but it's just been slowly building and building. Yeah. Yeah. You just get this anxious sense that something's wrong and that something terrible is about to happen. And you don't know what. I've got a bad feeling about this. (laughs) Gustav, we need to get into that museum. I think it's here. The two kind of crouch and keep low to the ground, zigzag their way towards the museum. Are there any immediate obvious openings in sight? Are there any cracked windows? Is there a, um, is there a little, is there like a little porch or alleyway entrance off to the side that's not on the main street facing uh, the immediate public? It sounds to me like you might be assessing the situation right now. Oh, snap. I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, if only there was a move for that. Um, Why don't you go ahead and roll 2d6 plus superior? Oh, shoot. Who's going to? Let's see. Um, We are going to have Agatha make that. 2d6 plus superior. That is a a 4 plus a 2. Plus a two for an eight total. Excellent. Whew, got there. Awesome. So you get to ask one from the following list and you get to take plus one while acting on the answer. So don't forget that because I will. That will probably make two of us. So, okay. Um, cool. Cool. 
cool. We will I do would, our best. I will. There's the one that uh, I feel. Mm-hmm. The one I. The question I feel most inclined to ask would be how could we best end this quickly however would it would you be adverse to me modifying that to how could we best insert ourselves into the area of operations yeah what here could i use to get into the museum undetected because we can always throw gustav through a window but that tends Mm -hmm. to right Getting into the museum is easy. Getting into the museum without attracting attention is a completely different problem. Yeah, absolutely. In one of the alleyways, kind of along the side of the museum, there's some crates stacked next to a dumpster. It looks like if you kind of jumped off on top of them to the fire escape, there's a window up on the third floor that is ajar, and you can see... Just uh, a little bit of the curtain fluttering out the window. Third floor window open. Mm-hmm. Open a jar. So not very well, but open still. Mm-hmm. Okay. We shall... Let's see. We are going to uh, climb up that... those. Uh, we're going to climb up those crates and uh, make our way up towards that. Awesome. Ryan, what brings you to the kind of main thoroughfare of Old Town New Olympus this fine evening. So Night of Freedom given to you by Uncle Brad Patrick. I think that the parking lot of the Natural History Museum is a really good uh, outdoor skating surface. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's just really flat and at night it's like abandoned. Mm -hmm. So I think like when the roller rink's closed, that's where Ryan and sometimes some of her buddies go and practice. Mm-hmm. I think it's just her tonight, though. The parking lot just got resurfaced, too. So it's just like that perfectly smooth blacktop that's just like, mmm, to ride across, you know? Yeah, it's real good. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, you've just been skating around, practicing your moves. What have you been working on lately? I think they've been sort of just getting back into it. I think Patrick maybe didn't let them go to practice for a couple of weeks while she was grounded. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think they're just kind of like refreshing themselves. Like, it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, it's yeah. all coming back. Some but yeah, just like, back for sure. Yeah, working on some of that stuff kind of going around in circles to sort of like, you know, get the, the derby kind of muscle memory back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, you are like practicing, you know, some of your stops and turns and stuff. You notice two unscrupulous looking shadows slip into an alleyway surreptitiously. I think, I think she's been going really fast. Cause I think like me, when Ryan is frustrated, she just wants to like go really fast and not be able to think. So I think as soon as they see that, they sort of they try to do a stop really quickly, but because they're kind of a little bit rusty and they're going so fast, they kind of fail at it and like face plan. <laughs> so, and then I think like roll completely undeterred, like the there's like roll onto their side and then start like jumping back up and just, hey, 
going after them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Gustav and Agatha, you are about halfway up this stack of oxes when a rather large person starts yelling at you. Perhaps a familiar voice? Negative. Yeah, I don't think we've ever met before. Oh, oh, this will be exciting then. I'm excited. Although I have a sneaking suspicion Steve might have mentioned meeting people that fit <laughs> this description. Oh, yeah, there's there no way. So many, you know, Danny DeVito sized turtles in New Orleans. There's no way Steve would have missed an opportunity to tell Ryan all about the small turtle and undead girl. That, that yeah, he I, I think, saved another caravan goes with. I think uh, Ryan is then like skating over towards them now. Like, hey, hey, are you uh, are you the you were at the you know my yeah you met the electric kid right? We met uh, somebody fitting that description. Gustav, stay silent. Who are you? Oh, I uh. And she, like, looks down at herself, not in superhero costume at all, just in, like, sweatpants and a t-shirt and her skates and protective gear, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and, and goes like, oh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm Ryan. My name is Ryan. My name is Agatha, and this is my brother Gustav. We are pleased to meet you. Uh, said something about a... An electric kid? Yeah, you you uh you fought freezer burn with him, right? I, I know the electric kid, we're friends. Um did she give herself the name Freezer Burn? Uh I don't think so. I think it was one of those like kind of jerk journalists over at Knob. I hope so, because that is one cornball name. <laughs> yeah they uh they have a habit of uh i think they i think it's like uh they're less scared of villains if they give them stupid indeed it is a pleasure to meet you ryan and agatha extends her hand <laughs> yeah ryan will take it <laughs> what could go wrong it's a perfectly innocent handshake Suddenly, yeah. Arrow Ace appears. <laughs> God damn the timing! No, uh, Agatha, Agatha extends her hand like a uh, like an old fashioned lady, wrist bent, fingers pointed downwards. And, oh, uh, Ryan's definitely going to kneel down and give it a kiss. Then, as uh, as Ryan's lips touch Agatha's fingers, I'd like to unleash my uh, powers. Yeah. Let's go! That is a four plus a five plus a zero for a nine total. Rip, Ryan. It was nice knowing you, Ryan. <laughs> Agatha would like to gently read Ryan's thoughts and see everything they have heard uh, from the electric kid about Agatha and Gustav. And she'd also like to probe 
deeper into Ryan's mind and see whether or not they are a trustworthy fellow regarding uh, superhero antics in the city. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, on a nine, you do it. Uh, but on a seven to nine, mark a condition, or I will tell you how the effect is unstable or temporary. Gotcha. So I'll go ahead and say I took the insecure condition for Agatha. Uh, once she had, she didn't go too deep into uh, into Ryan's various affiliations, but knowing that Ryan is part of a a collective of heroes and they're not hiding uh, in the shadows and they have quite a few more resources available at their disposal. Agatha is going to feel just a little insecure about how little she and her brother are actually able to do, despite being uh, somebody who is pretty close to invincible, as well as somebody who uh, hasn't, been able to die completely yet. It might be something else that Agatha sees in Ryan's mind that will make her insecure. I think that fits very well. <laughs> Do you want me to describe what's going on in Ryan's well, head? Yeah, yeah. Give us a, a highlights reel for uh, Steve's description of what happened in Ryan's thoughts. So I think the first thing Agatha will see, like surface level thoughts, is just like, you know, an inside out where the teenage boy's whole mind is just like, girl alert, girl alert. Like, it's like that. It's just like hot girl, hot girl, hot girl, hot girl. Um, and then once Agatha sort of like has a specific thing to look for, there's like, uh, I think maybe they were on the phone. So I think it's more like an auditory thing. Like uh, Ryan was probably like looking at his bedroom, like wall, but hearing like, and there was a turtle and like a, an undead girl zombie vampire thing. I don't know. Did you see the selfies that Serena took? Because like, I don't know there if they're smiling or if they were about to eat her, but like, yeah. And like there was this big explosion and then the, the turtle like spewed like gross gunk on the villain and she just like froze but it was like after i had already done my zap thing and then it's just like it's just yeah <laughs> but yeah i think so i don't think there's like names or anything i think it's just like a very steve like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. explosion yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, I think if um if Agatha's also looking at, like, Ryan in terms of, like, superhero things, probably gets, like, a highlight reel of, like, all of the heroic feats that Ryan has done. With the Midnight and Heartbreakers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once, uh, I think, I think once Agatha sees that Ryan is in not one, but two superhero vigilante teams that's when the insecurity kicks in <laughs> perfect with special permission from the uh, from the editor actually i would like to clear the angry condition from agatha which she's had for i think a literal year now and uh, i'd like to take insecure twice <laughs> oh wow we'll uh, we'll mark insecure excuse me Perfect. I was wondering, 
does Agatha's like does Ryan feel any of I was just about this, to ask that too. Or, yeah. Ryan feels uncomfortable pain and heat. Like their head is being opened like a book and read page. No, I'm kidding. I, it probably doesn't <laughs> notice it at all. Oh, okay. He's too busy going, hot girl, hot girl, hot girl, kissing hot girl's hand, kissing hot girl's hand, hot girl, hot girl, hot girl. Turtle? Turtle. Turtle? Gustav is, uh, is kind of eyeballing. Does, uh, does Ryan have like a little backpack or a, uh, hip pouch or any of the, uh, actually, do you have any pockets? Ryan has pockets, yeah. Ryan doesn't usually carry a bag. She's Gustav, got pockets, is, like. Gustav has one finger in uh, in Ryan's pocket. Is um his left leg pocket, and he's kind of kind of pulling it aside and peering into it. Do you have any gum? Uh, not gum. And then Ryan just kind of like pulls Gustav's hand out, and <laughs> Gustav's got like his hand wrapped around like a bag of Sour Patch Kids. She's like, not gum, but I got those. Gross. You can keep them. <laughs> okay, and then she just like shoves like three in her mouth. <sighs> They're good. You tried them? I don't like sour. Oh, that's fair. And then he 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 puts one in his mouth, sucks on it a little bit, and then pulls it out. What'd you do? I got the sour off for you. Okay. And Gustav puts it in his mouth. It's gummy. Yeah. You wanted gum, right? You're it's not supposed to swallow gum, though. Yeah, that's why these are better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're Sour Patch Kids that have been, like, specially made in New Olympus. They're flavored pickle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. There's the, the pickle kid. Um, yeah. Now, one in every five. Sour pickle kid. I'm now picturing a future panel of Gustav with a bag of Sour Patch Kids, and he's washing them like a raccoon washes their food. <laughs> Actually, it would more correctly be he's got a he's got a bag of Sour Patch Kids that he's had Ryan suck all the citric acid off of. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all they're all kind of sticking together uh, yeah that's that's a way to go with it too yeah oh, best friends best friends if you're Good. both finished we have a museum to get into oh and this is around like a, another mouthful because of course Ryan's not finished oh we um uh, is there a villain in there or something? There might be something that has a peculiar attachment to me in there. Is Agatha, like, on the crates or, like, looking like she's going up the fire escape? Or I think Agatha was in the middle of getting on the crates, and then Gustav was kind of helping her up. So she's she's probably standing on the crate above Ryan while Ryan got down on one knee, so Agatha <laughs> had to bend way over for Ryan to accept her hand. 
oh, and Ryan shoves the Sour Patch Kids back in his pocket. He's like, do you need a, a boost? Do you need a head? And he's like clambering up on top of the dumpster in skates and all. Give me just a second. Agatha is going to reach towards the window. I don't know if you want me to make a roll for this or not, but she's going to telekinetically open it just a little wider. Wide enough for... It's going to have to be wide enough for Ryan to get inside, so it's probably going to be close to completely open. Yeah, no, I think that's something well within your, your power set. As you open the window and peer inside, you see a flashlight flash across the hallway opposite. And we turn the page. What is what is Eden up to? You know, I think she's just been going around the party doing her thing. And I think we see the exact moment her head snaps up and she has an epiphany and she places that voice flash those cheekbones she is going to look for Drew and see if she can find him again in the crowd you do catch sight of him he was is just giving a glance over his shoulder checking to see before slipping into kind of a door uh, leaning into one of like the other hallways in the hotel kind of like back behind the party I'm going to follow him so you follow him kind of through the halls. You uh, kind of turn a corner and see him at the next corner peeking around it. And around kind of over Drew's shoulder, you can see Grayson crouched down outside of a door that is closed. This is so annoying. <laughs> because she wants to go also over there and she doesn't care that drew might notice her there but she doesn't want to surprise him and have him give like yelp and give away his own position or anything like that true is a professional please okay he wouldn't yelp well (laughs) fine 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 she i guess then if she trusts him not to yelp She is going to sneak up right behind him and also watch Gray watch whatever he's watching. So, yeah, what am I seeing? So, Gray, <laughs> uh, you found the door to the conference room that your father and Mr. Hanengraf are behind. And you are able to overhear kind of bits and pieces of their conversation. Your father sounds very pleased with himself, almost gloating. He says, in fact, Mr. Hanegraaff, I've just received confirmation that uh, I'm now in possession of a certain artifact. So I would very much reconsider your tone right now that you're taking with me. Because the way I see it, the fate of your entire family and, uh, well, maybe just this city is quite soon be literally in my hands. What is, what is the current Hanegraaff's first name again? Wotner is the old guy. He's Walter was the old guy. What was, what was the youngest one, the current one? The one who's only in his 90s. <laughs> who's only in his 90s instead of dead. <laughs> instead of dead. <laughs> oh. oh, shoot. What was it? We're going to have to. It's, um, it's 
Percival now. Percival. Percival Henningrass, uh, voice. You won't get away with the sheep chains. That dog has been in my family for over a hundred years, and I'll be damned if you and your grubby new money hands get all over it. You mark my words. There's a reckoning coming for you. And heavy footsteps approach the door. The door that's, is just yeah. going to position himself to where when the door opens, he is behind it. Some other people might be visible, but he won't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the door flies open and you flatten yourself against the wall. As you, you kind of have to turn your head to the side so the door doesn't hit you as it's opened almost all the way. And uh, as you look down the hallway along the wall, you see real quickly just like a pair of eyes dart back behind around the corner and then further behind them, another head duck behind another corner. <laughs> as, like the, uh, the nesting dolls of... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like the meme where there's all the people sitting in the church with the guns, but... <laughs> as Percival Henningrath storms out of the conference room and down the hall... You can hear kind of a soft chuckle coming from uh, the conference room as Mr. St. James lights up a cigar. What do you do, Grayson? To not be suspicious, he's going to remove himself from behind the door and head in the direction of the nesting doll heads. (laughs) When the door flew open, Eden... And Drew ducked back behind the corner and made eye contact with you. If Eden was concerned about being caught spying, you know, there's always the great yes. move. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's going to grab Drew, like kind of cup his face and just like bring it in real close. And just maybe make it look like if anyone walks by, like, they might have just snuck back there to make out. Who can say? Yes. Yeah. If anything, in that case, Gray can just come around the corner and smirk in the thought that he's just caught some people making out. Oh, a couple of lovebirds, hey? And I'm trying to pierce the mask. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh! Brilliant. Yes, I love it. Why is my reaction to you piercing the mask the same as me reacting to Kyra <laughs> making them make out the first? Like, this is the it's difference. It's the anticipation right? that this scene might be juicy. <laughs> All right, when you pierce someone's mask to see the person beneath, roll plus mundane. On a 10 plus, you ask three questions. On a 7 to 9, you ask one. All right. That's a nine. Yeah. So go ahead. There's also a team in the pool you could use selfishly if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, you know? I don't well, like. <laughs> that is very much within Grayson's wheelhouse. I don't feel like he would rapid fire berate them with questions in this moment. <laughs> but I will ask how I could gain influence over them. Which I already have influence over Eden, but like that's Vice and Moonflower. I don't, Grayson doesn't know this girl. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And even if it is just calling their bluff as they're mm-hmm. they're pretending to make out and he's just standing there, not walking by, not phased by mm-hmm. it, like yeah, so you guys gonna just pretend to make out all day? Just tapping his foot. <laughs> and a lot of the information being conveyed here can happen kind of uh on a meta level as well. But yeah, uh, what could Grayson do to gain influence over you, either in this situation or uh, in general, Eden? And then I'll answer for Drew, obviously. I, I think like an indication that PA is on the same side as them, at least for now, and B, that he's useful. He's He's contributing to the cause. Yeah, I think uh, to get influence over Drew, uh, yeah, if he learned that you were, like, didn't like your father and were actively working against him, that would really impress him, and you could definitely get influence over him that way. I, I feel like also if he knew you were Black Falcon's new guy. Oh, shit, yeah, that too. I that guess. is a fun dynamic, like, they're not aware of that dynamic. Neither that of them know that, but that is a very fun dynamic between the two uh, of them. Uh-huh. That is true, they are... The two Black Falcon protégés. Because I don't think in my head, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that like Black Falcon has dismissed Shrike. Maybe they've just kind of drifted apart yeah, and stopped yeah, that's exactly talking as much. Uh-huh. But yeah, Black Falcon probably still considers him his protégé. But he's like, well, you know, if you're not going to carry the workload, I got to get some more help around here. Yeah, yeah. He might be, uh, he might be unhealthily possessive too, like... You you leave, you go and do your own thing, but you'll always be his protege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. I think Eden's feeling a little cocky. And I, I think she's going to kind of, yeah, just like cock her head to the side and say, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, hold it. For words. <laughs> jealous of what? The little deer in the headlights he got right there? Nah, I'm good. But he's gonna just stroll in closer and say, so let's stop looking like a bunch of weirdos over here. Like, kind of gesture to them to kind of be more a part of the party and the proceedings like a little farther on so they're not crouched in the corner. Once they're back kind of in the main area, just brief them on what he heard. Because he likes to mess with his father and it seems like these two are interested he might be able to deduct, like, he, he doesn't know who these people are, but, like, normal teenagers aren't stalking around mm-hmm. the back alleys and conference rooms. Wait, hold on. I've got some questions. Who the heck are you? Who the hell are you? Why are you telling me this? And also, what the hell was that? He says pointedly at Eden. <laughs> <laughs> Eden is going to step away from him. This night has been a little weird for her. I think mm-hmm. she's still embarrassed that she didn't recognize him. And she is going to loop an arm through Grayson's and say, okay, let's go talk. She's absolutely not avoiding uh, answering Drew's question by doing so, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, so would she's never. just pulling Grayson away from Drew and leaving <laughs> Drew alone. Just a, as a point of clarification, I don't think she actually kissed him because we know consent's important. Um, she, she just kind of grabbed his face and maybe made it look like 
was oh yeah absolutely and then grayson just called the bluff yeah anyway i'm not used to having eden's bluff calls is what i'm saying so grayson lets eden draw him away and just winks at drew and says grayson st james and that's it like he answers that part of the question the other part was for eden and she's not answering it drew shakes his head thoroughly confused and just kind of follows i guess (laughs) and they are both having a weird night now i think (laughs) you never know what's gonna happen in one of these things Grayson buffs up his chest as he's somehow converted this dynamic from being the third wheel to making Drew the third wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Grabbing the wheel. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, we absolutely turn the page. Agatha, you see flashlight being moved furtively around the hallway and creeping footsteps at least one person inside the museum. We've boosted ourselves up and over the window at this point, correct? We have, uh, we're in the room when that happens? Yeah, absolutely. Because if we haven't, she's going to uh, give two short whistles to uh, Gustav, mimicking a starling, and then she's going to hop over the windowsill and as quietly as she can, haul ass towards the other side of the door so that if somebody looks into that room, they won't necessarily see her immediately. Ryan was helping give Agatha a boost, I believe. I don't know if Ryan is lying up into the window. We will allow Ryan to make that decision. Gustav is short as well, right? So he would probably also get help from a boost. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to. Gustav, as as Ryan grabs Gustav around, I guess it's his I, waist area. I mean, I I was thinking more like Ryan's like you know offering hands for Gustav to stand on. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Gustav. I can pick him up, though, if that's what he would prefer. Uh, Gustav will, in Ryan's hands, reach up, grab the edge of the windowsill, and then uh, he will press Ryan up and into the windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> Before then crawling into the room as well, tapping Ryan on the shoulder and going this way quickly and uh, running behind Agatha, diving towards the floor. <laughs> the the flashlight. Where Ryan yeah, is very what is scared. Ryan's face like? <laughs> what is what is Ryan's face like when this uh, four foot eleven creature, one handed, pumps Ryan up and gets their six foot frame? Off the ground and mm-hmm. up over his head with ease. <sighs> Ryan is oh, Agatha. I'm so sorry. Ryan is not stealthy. Ryan is like whoa, and then there's like a kind of crash as she lands on the other side of the window on her skates, and then like falls over, uh, and is just like 
That was sick, dude. It's pretty cool. And uh, a voice from the hallway says, The fuck was that? It was me, shit. Fuck. There's the crack of a radio. We have a problem up on three. (laughs) Are we the problem? Gustav, are we the Agatha, are we the problem? We're all the problem. And it's about to become a bigger one if you don't stay quiet. Wonderworld Comics is an actual play podcast of Masks, A New Generation, by Brendan Conway. This issue was GM'd by Michael Dunham, who can be found on Twitter at GalvanicMan. Moonflower is played by Kyra Nelson, who can be found on her Twitter at Kyra M. Nelson. Agatha Hazlitt and Gustav the Armored are played by Sawyer A. Mighty Briar is played by Kaylee Newberry, who can be found on their Twitter at Kaylee underscore Newberry. The Vice is played by Justin Reed, who can be found on his Twitter at WWComicsStitch. Wonderworld Comics is produced by Michael Dunham, and it is edited by Michael Dunham and Justin Reed. The music is from Dvorak Symphony No. 9. Do you have questions or comments? You can get a hold of us on Twitter at WWComicsPodcast, or send us an email at WWComicsPodcast at gmail.com.